welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to another great episode of our DevCom Podcast, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. My guest today is the wonderful Johannes Roth, founder and managing director at Mimimi Games. It's a Munich-based independent game development studio known for titles like uh, Desperados 3 or Shadow Tactics and many others in the past. Hi, Johannes. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I actually wanted to do this for quite a while uh, with you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for our listeners, obviously, the two of us, we, we know each other pretty well and, uh, yeah. you know, have talked about the history of your company and, and your personal background a couple of times. So I found it's very interesting for, you know, a wider audience and the listeners of this podcast to learn a bit more uh, about uh, your company and yourself, obviously. Especially sure. in light of, you know, the more recent history, becoming the best <laughs> studio in Germany and, you know, all these kind of uh, achievements that you had. So, um, but to get started, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, how the entire thing with Mimimi got started? Yeah, I mean, it could be a pretty elaborate story, but... Uh, oh, we have time, you know, <laughs> five hours is fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I myself, I'm a gamer. I always enjoyed playing games as a kid. Um Commander Keen is one of the all-time favorites that really got me into gaming. Which and, one? Uh, uh, actually, the first one, Marooned on Mars, but I love them all. Maybe not so much the Dreams episode, but, well, let's not get too nerdy about Commander Keen. <laughs> Commander um, Keen 4 is my favorite. Episode. Yeah, it, it's for a lot of people, yeah. but we only had a really old machine that wasn't capable of running it yeah. when I was a kid. But uh, I, I really remember that moment of kind of realizing that the little aliens, the gorks, that they could see me as a character in the computer. Um, and that felt like magic to me. And that kind of inspiration and, and passion kind of carried on throughout my gaming history. And uh, I think when I was 14, I learned that there was stuff you could do like you could study game design and i felt like oh that that sounds pretty interesting because uh well i was asking myself how does this whole magic actually work um and i think at that time it was pretty clear for me that i wanted to make games and uh, luckily uh it turned out to be great <laughs> so i kind of finished school uh, then i moved to munich uh to study game design at the media design hochschule um, it was great. I found a team. Uh, we worked on a few projects that we can talk about. Uh, some are more known, some are lesser known. And um, I mean, in the last few years, we, we really built up a community. Uh, I personally, I moved from kind of coding games and working on the actual projects to the whole managing director, business development role. And now we are also self-publishing our first big real-time tactics game where we do this on our own so uh, the transition and the that whole phase has been quite interesting uh, obviously but i still really enjoy it and i love this industry and i'm pretty happy that the little green alien and commander keen got me so excited back then and um, that i was able to get here yeah 
So that part of your backstory, I didn't know either. <laughs> you know, <so laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, so you were thinking of something new to tell me. Like, for yeah, the, for the I episode. reserved that <laughs> for special occasions. I see. No, it's interesting. It's, I think for a lot of people back in the day, it was the was a trigger, you know, to be interested in video games. Every, pretty, every, uh, pretty much everybody played it, and you know, uh, people obviously enjoyed it a lot. When when I met Tom Hall or Hell, I don't know, even know. I think Tom Hall, um, the creative director, uh, basically of that game, um, it was a super exciting moment in my career and I really enjoyed that uh, showing him my own creation and yeah. stuff that we worked on so yeah it's it's still a small industry you can still meet kind of all your uh, personal uh, yeah the guys that worked on the game that you really enjoyed that's that's awesome as well yeah for me it was the ultima series you know one of some of the first mm -hmm. games I, I played and uh now i'm friends with richard garriott so when i when i yeah. met him actually it was also, also a little bit of a fanboy moment you know, a great to, to guy uh, uh, has a lot of cool stories to tell for sure. many stories so it's kind of hard to keep up <laughs> yeah so uh moving back to um maybe me and and in your story obviously i mean there's so many things we can you know look into more deeply um but let's talk a bit about the the early days so when this got started of course you studied in munich you said like you had a team that you uh, you know uh, grew up with and in the industry and um, built a couple mm -hmm. things but maybe we can talk about this a little bit what you did the first projects you you were getting into and, and how that had an impact on where Mimimi is today and a little bit of your your vision that you have today for the company why you do yeah. things a certain way and why you don't want to do some other things yeah, I mean, when I started studying game design, I was aware that we would have to work on game projects and just make games uh, at the point in time during the courses. And um, I knew it was going to that the first project was going to be a 2D flash based game that we would have to make. And I was so motivated that I just started prototyping on my own before the course even started and then took that really shaky and ugly looking prototype in front of the course like our group of students i think we were around 25 and kind of pitched it to them and told them well i need graphics i need a story i need sound i need someone to help me with the coding um would you guys be interested in already starting on this game and that game was called grounded uh, which these days is uh, i think a big triple a like title um, I think from Bethesda. We should have secured that naming rights back then. Um, but yeah, it was a 2D platformer, kind of uh, jump and run, heavily inspired by Commander Keen, to be very honest. And um, the, the twist was that the world uh, that you were in was destructible, like in Worms, for example. Um, so you could dig through the ground and, and kind of nip uh, little things out there. and. Um, we just started working on it and the core team uh, is still together to these days, um, the, the core six developers and uh, that that's really cool. And I think we all just had a lot of passion. We started with basically no background in making games at all. Um, no one had any previous experience, not even really with a modding project or something. And we, in the end, we had four weeks of a really crunchy development phase uh, during that um, development course that we had at the university. Um, but we were just a couple of people and uh, the project turned out to win the German Developer Award in the newcomer category. Uh, I think we placed the second. <laughs> um, and the, but the interesting thing w was while we intended to win, uh, we wanted you to, to apply for that award for sure. Uh, we never expected to win so early in, in kind of our 
yeah career within the games industry and um that was just a great moment because we understood well we had very little time we didn't have a lot of experience um it was our first project and it already garnered so much praise from within the german games industry that people thought well this this should win an award and we also it it just clicked that the team of course was what made that possible it wasn't the the great game idea or you know that the graphics or something it was just uh, the team that made this possible in a very cool and unique way and since then we kind of stick together and uh Move, move to 2.5D-ish graphics with the Winchy, um, which some of you might know. Um, the Winchy Deluxe is currently on the app stores. Um, uh, that was our first mobile game, for example. It also started with a PC prototype, uh, was our first Unity project. And uh, again, the goal was to win that German developer award, but scoring the first place. Sadly, it was the second place again uh, <laughs> that we got. And um, well, the the team is really what, what made it work, I think. And uh, Dominic, my, my co-founder, always has a lot of cool creative ideas. For example, uh, with the Winchy, uh, it's basically a top-down camera perspective where you guide the hot air balloon by drawing wind with your finger. And that was such a cool concept that really only works on tablets which is bad for business <laughs> because we would really love to port the game to other platforms we tried wii u we tried connect we basically tried everything but it, it works best on an ipad and that um i think that was the reason why it also won the apple design award is it won right. second place in germany but it won uh, the apple design award and uh again that was that was a real door opener for kind of the international uh, industry and, and talking to people. And around that time, uh, I just covered basically three years of studying game design, starting with Grounded as a very first 2D game. And then in our free time working on the Winchy. And at some point we even started working on the project called The Last Tinker. But at that time, uh, I think we founded the company um, early 2012. Yeah. And, and really started working together after finishing the university courses. So it's your 10th anniversary next year for Mimi. Yeah, I, I mean, it always depends on how you count because f f personally, um, I've, I think kind of 2008 was the starting point mm -hmm. when we really just got together and said, well, we want to <laughs> actually, we, were, we are being called Mimimi. Back then, Mimimi Productions, these days Mimimi Games, we changed that last part, but the Mimimi part is around since 2008. So for me personally, that's when we started making games together. And uh, it's a pretty long time now, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's not too many studios that actually make it uh, through, you know, difficult times and always bring up uh, new titles and new ideas and uh, still succeed. And then ultimately, you know, uh, are, I would say, at a, at a very great spot to, like you said, self-publish the, the titles and and so on. But I got to ask you a question since I have you uh, on here. So Mimi Me Games, um, what's the background? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it kind of fits really well to sometimes, you know, the community and everything and crying about things that are not working in games and so on. But what's your yeah. personal background? Why you name the company like this um you mean the personal background for the company or for why we are calling it maybe why you're calling it uh, okay maybe. um 
Well, it was 2008. It was a very democratic process uh, with a group of students. Uh, when you start working on your first game, one of the first tasks is always to find the name for your team, which is super exciting. Um, until you get to the point where you actually have to find the name, which is pretty <laughs> pretty difficult um, because you have to look for domains and all that stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially, we someone said, well, we are always complaining about everything, uh, be it the quality of something within our university or hardware breaking down or just even the weather. Um, you know, it's like traditional Mimimi style is that one day it's really hot and people complain about that and the next day it's much colder, it, maybe it's raining and then everyone is complaining about that as well. So we are never really happy and this kind of Mimimi crying about everything uh, was kind of our DNA as a team of students and someone proposed it and I, I was like, guys, and then everyone voted for it as well. It wasn't just an <laughs> idea. Everyone voted for it. And I was like, Is, uh, could we take this a little bit seriously? Because uh, do you really want to do that? And then someone said, well, if we, if we ever get famous or well-known in any way, we can still change that. And then we won this uh, award with Grounded. And at that point, Dominic and I were like, well, now we have to stick with the name because the German games industry now knows Mimi Me Productions um, and uh, yeah, famous last words. But <laughs> I have to be very honest these days. I love the name because um, when I call Apple support or when I have to rent a car for the company or, you know, basically in every single situation that you can imagine, if you type down that name or say it on the phone, someone is always laughing and then you you, yeah. you you have something to chat about and that's awesome. And I think even with gamers, internally, it wasn't, actually, it wasn't very easy to convince the team that we changed the logo from, it was like a, a weird shaped M in the beginning and then a couple of years ago i was like well we are always wearing these t-shirts with the crying girl who we call mimi and we have her on our business cards we have her on our website but she's not our logo she's not in our games and i think that's a missed opportunity here because it's part of what mimi me is and people recognize us for that and then it actually was pretty difficult to convince our team uh, because we already released Shadow Tactics and that game obviously is targeted at core gamers and people that maybe don't want to see a crying girl logo with a Mimimi font uh, turned around there. And But it took some convincing and then I think everyone kind of bought into the idea and I'm really happy that we went there because I think it's we, we have that identity as a developer and it's not e it's just not easy to get there. It's weird, I, I agree. We we do have people on the Steam forums that complain about the logo and the crying girl sound that plays with it. Um, they think it's awful, but I'm personally, I'm happy about that because they are remembering that there's a developer right. behind the game and, and building that identity uh, is really cool with this name and this logo. I think it might be weird, but it's weird in a positive way, you know. It's yeah. it's something you want to keep weird. So yeah, I mean, we're we're not taking it very seriously in, yeah. the, in this way, but we are doing. We are still making. I think we are still a professional developer, and you can feel that on our website. You can feel yeah. it on our Discord and everywhere. So yeah. So is it part of your onboarding that people also need to learn how to complain? You know, to become <laughs> part of me. <Mimi? laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, 
the essence of it all basically is that you are never a hundred percent satisfied with results and i think that's something that a lot of game developers share i mean there's always something to to improve to fix um i'm not only talking about bugs i'm also talking about ui ux balancing all those there are so many screws uh, and, and little gears uh, in this machine making a game that you can always work on. And I mean, Mimimi Me, Me has that very strongly in our DNA that we always try to get better, basically. And if you, I, th- I think the important part here is that we don't lose ourselves in the complaining part, but that we iterate and we iterate all the time. Uh, there there have been times where i said well we will never grow beyond 10 people in the team then it was 15 people then it was 20 people and then i just stopped saying that and i realized also that the problems are changing all the time with your team size with a specific project you're making we are now making the third real-time tactics game it's all within the same genre but there's still new issues here and there and it's tough to get to the quality we want to reach and um think iterating on basically everything as a team and having that in our dna starting with the crying part but then looking at how can we get better how can we achieve something that we are happy with that's the core of me 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 and i think that's what we try to to get that's it's really cool i like this a lot that it's uh, you know it's kind of your vision coming from what started maybe in a little bit of an yeah. awkward way like really embracing it and, and making it yours so i think that's a really great approach to this how many people are you in the studio right now uh roughly 35. yeah, yeah. so yeah there goes your 10 people max yeah. <laughs> from the beginning yeah i mean i i changed it like when someone asks me about our growth plans i usually say well we don't want to grow um, it's just, you know, when we realize that there's so much work that one person can't handle it anymore or that we could get better if we hire someone here and there or for a specific topic, then we are doing it in a very organic and slow way. Um, and then it feels like it was natural instead of uh, trying to reach a certain number, uh, which I think is also fine. And, and, you know, there are different strategies approaching these kind of things. Um, obviously, it means that we have to be very efficient. We have to make smart choices all the time. And sometimes um, you don't make the smartest choice. <laughs> and then we really suffer from from stuff like that um, because we can't just grow and fix it uh, by, by having more people on the team or something like that. Um, but yeah, I have 35 right now feels, feels good, uh, I got to say. Um, there's a few more open positions uh, that we we've planned for this project, and but then again, I hope for the next project we don't have to grow that much again. <laughs> yeah, there you said it again. So yeah. next podcast we do the, in a couple it, of years, you know, we kind of talk about why you don't want to grow more <laughs> than like to number sixty or you know having seventy people or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really weird because when you're six people and you hire one additional person, that that's like well, it's such a huge change and and there's so much discussion going on about should we do that, how can we afford it and all that. And obviously it's still tough to grow for us, but we realize we we need to hire around 10 people and we're like, well, that's a lot of of persons and do we really want to do that? And then I was like, well, we need someone for QA. Is there any debate on needing someone for QA? internal QA, no, no debate. 
well, we need someone to help us with animations because our animation lead Jem can't do it on his own all the time. Um, he needs support. Is there any debate about that? No. And that was true for every single yeah. person. And, and yeah, just in no time, you have to hire 10 people. It's crazy. But on the other hand, it's good that you don't do it just for the sake of growing the team, but rather, you know, challenge yourselves and then figure mm -hmm. out what is the right what's the sweet spot what's the right amount of people that you actually need to accomplish you know your next mission and, and work on your next project i've seen it with you know many development studios that uh, there was always this this need for growth some sometimes triggered yeah. by investors or publishers yeah. that they yeah. said like well you need to grow otherwise uh, you know you won't be able to to pull it off and uh, so being in a position where you can control that process yourself yeah. where you also are aware of what it means for you personally being you know um the founder and managing director but also what it means for the team obviously yeah. to integrate those people i think that's uh, absolutely important if you want to keep the uh, company going for a long time yeah i mean um it also creates a lot of new challenges uh, i think two years ago now uh, maybe i started building our first uh org chart <laughs> where i plot down like the hierarchy it's, it's very flat but it still exists and uh it, suddenly we needed something like that and to me it always felt like well that's an asset that a huge company like a hundred plus people uh requires but uh, it already started with 20 like who's head of whom uh why what are the relationships between the departments um how are the departments even called is it development is it code is it programming whatever um and then we also felt we we had to plot down kind of our values as a company um so i mean we we grew very slowly and we are still the original team is, is at mimimi and that means our core values are always here they we are living them but they have never been written down um there was no page on our wiki that said well the company wants to do this and that it was just part of our everyday life and it, it took me I've, around 12 months to really specifically write down what we were already doing and then making sure that in the future when we grow first of all when new people are added to our team that they could read through this stuff um could rely on this being true and whenever we face a difficult situation uh, we can look at this page and ask ourselves well if we have to choose a or b what is more in line with our values and what we want to achieve and for us it's basically a picture where on top there um, it's like a happy me 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 bubble and then on a string and balancing on that string on the left and right side um, are two things we want to achieve and one is making outstanding games and the other is to have a really happy and healthy team and to keep that in balance so for example to not make the most excellent game or something very you know like a game changer uh, based on crunch for example or because i think sometimes in our industry there are people that you know if if i was a young developer and i would uh join a large AAA studio and i would know that this title that i'm working on will change gaming history because it's such a big release uh, then maybe i would crunch for that because that was what why i would even join that team to get to this position to to changing kind of the timeline of the games industry um for us uh we want to think more about the long-term implications of stuff like that 
And uh, therefore we say, well, we don't want to crunch. We don't want to improve the products, something, or to add more features or to, you know, the usual stuff um, on the back of our team that then suffers uh, from that. Right. Um, it also defines kind of what, what means outstanding games for us. Like, um, is it is it a game that only the press like the press likes or that you know that has a great Metacritic score? What does how important is the Steam score for us? How important is the press Metacritic score for us? Uh, what does that really mean? Um, when we talk about outstanding games, we also have to have some innovation uh, in the games and all these kind of different aspects that we all already were kind of living, we try to plot down. And um, I feel like if we wouldn't have done that, uh, we might be in trouble because just with so many new people added to the team, we can't guarantee, and especially with the pandemic, it got so much harder um, that they kind of soak in these values on their own. Uh, we have to write stuff like this down. And I'm thankful that we we have support with stuff like that. So we, we have a coach uh, that helps us, um, who also has a background like uh, uh, as a therapist and, and herself, she was also a founder and uh, stuff like that really helps. Yeah, I wanted to to touch the topic of uh, you know the coach that you're working with a little later actually in the discussion. But while we're sure. at it, so uh, we can we can dive in for a moment. Um, how do you use that? Uh, what's what's the impact of you know having a coach available for for the team? Um, where are the areas that uh, you know she helps the most, and and how does the team see all that? Do they do they appreciate this? Is that something new for most of them, or has it become like an integral part of who you are at Mimimi? I think. It so it mostly started as a support tool for Dominic and myself, um, being the, the CEOs and the founders, him being the uh, creative uh, director and me being the managing director. Um, we basically wanted to have time to work on company stuff <laughs> and not just game stuff. And uh, we, we use these workshops uh, with, with this coach to talk about stuff like, do we need an org chart? Do we need to write down our values? If we do that, how do we do it? Um, what's the right approach? Um, we understood during Desperados 3 that we, when we grew from 15 to 25, we needed to have specific head roles within our team. So people that manage their departments and that are responsible for the tough decisions, essentially. Um, it was too chaotic without this kind of structure. And all these situations kind of course that we needed help with that because we felt that sometimes the games industry is pretty chaotic and we wanted to have kind of like an outside perspective from someone who's usually consulting with larger traditional um, companies. And it, it really helped. And Dominic and I, we just from the very first session, we felt like, well, this is going to be so valuable because first of all, we, we have to take the time to do it. <laughs> it's kind of a long-term investment. And secondly, we are learning a lot of new things that we maybe felt were necessary, necessary but didn't really know how to do. And uh, then we built our management team around that. So our head of art, head of development, head of production, um, head of design, they are part of the Mimimi management team. Um, they are part of some of these workshops and the team is benefiting from that a lot because, for example, we improved our meeting structures. Uh, we 
it all comes back to iterating on everything essentially but with a little bit from bit a little bit of help from outside um to have another point of view on stuff that to if you're working with the same team for a very long time sometimes you're lacking like new thoughts or yeah that kind of spark that you sometimes need to improve something um, that you don't have yourself and, and that's really cool uh, the team itself currently isn't doing any specific workshops uh, we are doing it more like that Dominic and I or some of the heads are learning something and then we just put it into practice we use this new knowledge or we share it or we do an internal presentation um, maybe for example I, uh, I did a very spontaneous uh, we do have a daily stand-up with the whole team still with all 35-ish people uh, which is a little bit crazy but it's important to us, to us to really see each other once a day and uh, yeah just out of nowhere I, I, I had this workshop a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about how to how to approach mistakes and people doing something wrong and, and what does that mean is it something we want to encourage? Is this something bad? Uh, do we need to to kind of uh, uh, yell at people? Or you know, it's it is complicated stuff. And we we had some input from that coach, and uh, I was able to share kind of well, we want to do mistakes, we just don't want to repeat them. But yeah. uh, we are doing really making games is so hard. And obviously, if you want to achieve something, uh, then you're you have to make mistakes um but let's embrace that uh let's share those mistakes let's let's make sure that all departments can learn from them when they happen let's be open about it uh, let's make sure that it's you know that we understand that it's not something bad but that we don't repeat it um uh, the same mistake uh, again and again that's kind of one of the examples that really helps i think yeah, i think failure culture in general is extremely important uh, to establish uh -huh. in, in an organization like when you uh you know, when you sometimes ask people what's your biggest mistake you made like mm -hmm. last year then this can trigger a lot of things you know for you can if they then share you know what they did why how they overcame it and what they learned from it then uh, this can unlock uh, like a, a new potential for the entire team so uh, you know <laughs> i couldn't yeah. agree more with what you were saying and uh, i was just curious how you were using working with an external coach um, uh, back in the in the time when I was um, still running Travian games uh, we had an internal um, coach uh, mm -hmm. so not not even external but we hired somebody uh, who was supporting not only the leadership team um, but uh, you know everybody in in the organization if they were you know facing certain challenges within their uh, environment uh, kind of you know helping them to understand how to resolve this and uh, yeah. providing them with a little bit of an of an impulse sometimes you know to yeah. uh, to trigger change and uh, that from my point of view was a really uh, a smart decision to to bring somebody on, on board to help out with that but you're one of the few studios who I know are uh, mm -hmm. using a, a similar uh, you know, method to help the team. And that's why I was curious about um, uh, how you work with that. Yeah, I mean, having someone internally handle this kind of stuff would be awesome. Uh, but we can't afford that. Well, yet. it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> come. You know, like I said, yeah, next time day. when you when you're like 100 people strong, then you know, <laughs> one one person might be an internal coach. Yeah.
<laughs> so um, let's go back a little bit to uh, like in time to uh, the the uh, like early days around Last Tinker and and, mm -hmm. and what you did there. I want to talk a bit about the projects and the project history that you had. And obviously, I don't know how much you want to talk about, but I know there have been like difficult times in the company history yes. as well. So I think it's interesting for our listeners to also get a little bit of an insight into what studios that are successful now had to overcome to be in that spot and yeah. uh, you know what maybe others can learn from what you went through uh, in that time I think that's extremely important so if you can talk a bit about uh, like you know the the earlier projects and uh, yeah. and what happened at that time and how yeah. it you know kind of paved the way for future <laughs> project that would be very interesting I think yeah I mean at the center of what I'm going to talk about, I think, is the saying that game as a developer, specifically game development, is not a sprint, but a marathon. So you need to survive and you need to survive for more than one game because most likely that first game you're going to release, uh, even if it's completely funded by a publisher or something, um, it's not going to make you rich and sustainable in a way that you can fund your own development studio. So, um, for example, The Last Tinker uh, was completely funded uh, by a publisher um, back then. And when it released, that publisher closed down <laughs> two weeks before our release, which we didn't even learn until two weeks after our release, um, which was a very weird situation. And obviously it wasn't great for the launch. The game itself also had its issues um, with kind of who's the target audience and how do we really sell it. Um, but it meant that the game wasn't making the, the money that we expected. Luckily, I never expected any money from the, like any actual cash on my bank account from that game. Uh, I just never, I, I had all the numbers. I had at least 20 games industry professionals tell me the conservative and the optimistic numbers. I had an EDAR report. That's a report where you pay, I think, 10 to 15 grand. Yeah. Uh, a really professional company evaluating how much money you're going to make. And they did a great job, but we're still super off. And I had I had all that data. I was like, well, if it's, if it's going to do the conservative numbers, I'll be really, really happy. And then it did a fraction of that at launch and um, if I would have relied on that money for example uh, Mimi would be closed instantaneously. Um, luckily I had signed a smaller contract work project which was really a cool project for us as well a mobile game uh, that was supported by local uh, the local funding from the FFF Bayern and that was a project that kind of helped us survive uh, the time between also, for example, uh, delivering the Goldmaster and the actual release. Uh, sometimes that's just one or two months and that can that already means you have to pay for your whole studio one or two months until the game comes out. And we quickly learned, We obviously we immediately, immediately started pitching uh, our new projects to, to publishers and other partners when we finished the last Tinker, when we finished the Goldmaster. But everyone was waiting for the Metacritic score. Everyone was waiting for that kind of the critics and the Steam page to react to that game's release, um, which totally makes sense. Um, they all had builds of the final game, but I can't expect the publisher to play through an eight-hour game and then, you know, 
it's just important to have the game out on market. And when it came out uh, with some partners, it really boosted our reputation, even though it wasn't the financial success we hoped for. Um, it had a level of quality and, and uh, innovation, and it had a unique graphic style and all that. And it was our first really, really big game uh, made by a very small team uh, compared to similar titles. Um, and that meant that some people started trusting us, us more. <laughs> uh, they understood, you know, they saw that the company survived this and uh, that we delivered uh, at that time on time and in budget, <laughs> which was crazy for the first project. Sadly, that didn't happen for the other games. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was very happy that we had the small contract work project. I was very happy that we delivered the quality we ha we wanted to deliver. And then it took us, I think, roughly six to eight months to really sign the next project or to get to the phase where we started signing the next project. And that next project would be Shadow Tactics. And um, it was, again, it was tough because it was so different compared to Last Tinker. Last Tinker is colorful. It, it looks like a kid's game, but it would, it really isn't a kid's game. It's hard to define. Uh, Shadow Tactics, uh, we knew would be a core game, really difficult to play, you know, lots of challenges and, and like the original Commandos and, and Desperados. And uh, not a lot of publishers understood why we would change so much in, the, in, in kind of the content that we were making. And obviously it also creates risk because it's a very different type of game to make. Um, and and well, we, we had to prove ourselves first and we, we didn't have time and money for that. We couldn't build a, a real vertical slice uh, for this pitch. It, it just wasn't possible. We had like a visual prototype scene and yeah, with a little bit of luck, uh, the Delic uh, back then got a lot of uh, money uh, because they sold a few shares of their company uh, to Basta Lüppe and then they, they had that cash and were like, hey, we... we we already talked about working together when you guys were still studying game design uh, when we made the Vinci. And now you've finished the last Tinker. Looks cool. It has its issues, but uh, Carsten specifically said, well, he believes in our team. And then he gave us a chance to work on Shadow Tactics, although it was such a huge change in the genre and, and the type of game. And again, it, it was a tough production. Um, I think at the end we had three to three and a half months of overtime, which, you know, for a total production time of around, I think it was 18 to 20 months. I'm not completely sure anymore, um, which is okay <laughs> compared to a lot of projects out there and, and doing something like this for the very first time. Um, but of course we didn't plan for that and it, it meant even more struggles and in that case it meant that me 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 had we, we always had like a buffer of three months cash on our bank accounts that in any case whatever happens we would be safe for three months and if everything would go right then you know after that gold master <laughs> uh, delivery we could for three months be safe pitch a new project and sign something new and we chose to invest that slack that buffer money into shadow tactics because we we saw well we invested those 18 months 
and we know exactly what we have to do in the next three months to really get it to another level of quality. We also knew that if we released this game in a bad way, um, because it was all about the kind of the revival of the real-time tactics genre, that we would fail uh, because you know you only have that one chance. Was the entire yeah. team aware of the risk you took? Uh, yes, yes, we we talked about that very openly. I think if we are very honest, everyone's every, everyone agreed on doing this because. I think there's also really this point where you don't want to invest like two years of your life in a game and then know you're so close to making it really good, but then stopping and never having the chance yeah. of fixing that kind of mistake. Um, and that was a huge motivation of why why would we even uh, take that risk? But again, I don't think that everyone understood that it really meant, well, we were out of money when we finished the game. And that meant we had, we, we kind of had to cancel contracts and, and um, it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, and luckily in the end, the game was such a success. And um, yeah, not this time, not only with, with the Metacritic score and the Steam review scores and all that, but also financially speaking, uh, it was doing very, very well, both for the Delic and Mimimi. And uh, that meant we were able to go on and, and uh, burn all those uh, <laughs> those bad sheets of paper that never, no one really wants to remember. Um, but, you know, a lot of people came to me and asked me why we didn't kind of gave this, this hero tale spin. Like, well, we invested everything. We took the risk. Uh, we... We did everything we could and it paid off and it was so great. And that's how you do it because I think it's not how you should do it. Mm -hmm. It was really bad for the team. It took a huge toll on everyone. I, I myself, I mean, it was only around, I think it was around six weeks from uh, speaking out the cancellations and then actually burning them. So the phase wasn't that long, but for at least six months after that i was i was having trouble to sleep and i at first i didn't even realize it was connected to the situation um and and yeah so i can i really cannot recommend doing it this way would i say that it was one of the biggest mistakes no because it, it meant that the game came out the way it was meant to be in that specific situation um if I would, if I could go back, would I change something? No, because again, we we don't want to work so long and so hard on the game and then finish uh, release it unfinished. Um, that that would have been something on our CV that we could have never fixed. Um, but, but yeah, I would not recommend doing something like that. And again, it comes down to everything is a marathon and not a sprint. You have to have to think long term you have to retain your talent uh, you have to make sure that people don't burn out you have to make sure that you have the money on your bank accounts to survive whatever happens at least for a realistic period of time so i'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit when you <laughs> think about a similar situation i mean everything is going well right now for you guys and uh, you know things uh, since shadow tactics i think we're only going upward but let's just imagine in the future and i hope it doesn't happen you would be in a similar situation with a larger team even and would have to make that call would you think you would do it again and if you were to do it again would you uh, you know do it the same way like involving the team make everybody aware or 
what are your thoughts on you know how the team has changed now and if this is still still something that you would feel comfortable doing yeah so the way i am approaching it is that we change a few things about the buffer and that is to increase it to six months instead mm -hmm. of three months and in my mind in my in my opinion kind of um, that means that if something goes terribly wrong uh, we have three months of time to fix that and if we fail in those first three months um, that means we got to make the decision to change something uh, maybe to close down the company and then we still have three months for everyone to you know have enough time to find a new job or to finish what, whatever we can finish uh, at that point in time I, I think that that's the way I'm approaching it I don't want to get into that situation um, we, we really don't want to touch that money at all it's in a very safe place uh, it's not too easy for us to to transfer it and all that stuff um, but yeah does, does, I mean, that, does that mean you invested in bitcoin <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah no 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 um I mean, theoretically speaking, of course, there could be a similar situation, especially with self-publishing, but I don't really feel it happening again because uh, with every game we released, things in a way got easier because yeah. we were better known within the industry. We, The release of Desperados 3 meant it proved to the whole world that we d are not a one-hit wonder. It's... The release of Shadow Tactics was great and people were super happy with that. But there was a lot of people thinking, well, okay, you did it once, but you know, there are lots of companies that can achieve success once. Or well, not a lot, but you know, it's tough to follow up on something like that. But you're right. I mean, of, of course it's much harder to establish an entire company and establish like the pipelines and do a yeah. game again and make it yeah. great um, compared to just doing it once even though yeah. just doing it once is also very hard you know, yeah. like doing this consistently and, I, I and, and, where you're coming from yeah and doing it twice was also really hard and i'm yeah. very thankful uh for example in this case with the traditional publishing deal for thq nordic that they supported us in the way they did because um the project was taking much longer than expected and we we would we honestly didn't think that on this scale, this could even happen because we made shadow tactics. We were like, okay, we're gonna add 10 people, uh, grow from 15 to 25. Uh, we are in the same genre, we know the complications, we, we've we got the safe system, we can quick save and quick load. Uh, that was one of the toughest challenges, technically speaking. Um, we already ported the to consoles, we, we understand all these platforms. And then a few things here and there went wrong and you know, we, we did our best, but um, it was very nice uh, to have a strong partner on our side that also believed in the quality that we would achieve and, and helped us get the product where, where it should be. Um, it wasn't easy for them as well. Um, so again, I didn't expect that to happen and I'm not expecting anything to happen right now. But again, in the end, I, I feel like, well, I, I'm responsible um, kind of to, to to have a stable team to, to provide stability for our team. Yeah. And with those six months, I feel like I can provide them with you know enough stability because if they learn, well, we are out of money, we are now touching that buffer and then we still have those three months where 
think it's okay to still try to fix everything. And then there's yet another three months to kind of personally on a private level uh, deal with this situation. I think that's uh, more than fair and that's realistic. And I'm also confident that everyone working at Mimimi will, will find a great new job in case anything happens. Um, and, and that again, of course, is one of the reasons why it makes sense to, to stick to quality and, and delivering that. Um, but without crunching to death and then not yeah. being able to to work anymore. I think it was it was super smart that you learned from that situation and thought about like what can I do to in case something similar comes up be yeah. better prepared and you know nobody's ever safe but uh you know I think right now you need, don't need to worry about this and uh, it's most likely not going to happen ever at least I hope it's not going to and you know looking yeah. at what you guys are doing I think it's uh it's very unlikely but you know having this learning um from that moment is definitely very valuable i think for you and the entire team i mean you mentioned you, you couldn't sleep for like a couple of, uh, weeks you know after after this mm -hmm. happened and i can tell from personal experience that letting people go or having to let them go based on yeah. you know the situation of the company is one of the hardest things you can do and uh, yeah. i can totally relate to not being able to sleep uh, for an extended period of time because of that and it takes a while until you realize so uh, you know, this is something you don't want to be in. And th the good thing is right now that uh, it seems like, uh, you know, you left this behind at least for the, you know, yeah. foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talking about, um, you know, the, the upcoming project, or maybe first the last one, like this brought us three, obviously mm -hmm. it was something that, uh, you know, I think built upon the success that you have with Shadow Tactics, you mentioned it yourself, you you uh, probably had uh, quite a few learnings from the previous project, uh, still decided to go with uh, a publisher, uh, THQ Nordic, and, uh, mm -hmm. who supported you. Now leading over to the new project um, that you're working on right now, uh, staying somewhat in the same genre, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would say, is, um, is there... How did that process look like for you? I mean, apparently now you feel more confident, uh, you know, based on what you learned from Desperados 3 to also go down mm -hmm. the self-publishing route. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, what those individual um, elements were that you that you saw in your team uh, growing and, and what led to the confidence now to say, okay, this next one, we really want to do ourselves. Uh, and so so yeah. what did you learn from previous projects that, that brought you here? I mean... The most important thing for us for this new game, which is currently called Codename Süßkartoffel, which is German for sweet potato, in case you didn't know. It's pretty, uh, it's really, by the way, it's pretty famous in, in the German industry, at least, you know. Yeah. So uh, I, I find it funny. The good old vegetable code names and me, me, me. Um, it was important for us to work on a new original IP, and it was very important for us to keep and own that IP completely. Uh, the reason for that was simply that making these games is still taxing, uh, even if you don't crunch. It's 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 hard. <laughs> I'm repeating myself, but it is. And uh, we came to kind of the realization that we don't know how many large games we will make in our lifetime, essentially. It, it's a limited number, that's for sure. And um, for us, it was important to kind of think okay about how can we build really long-term value for the company um, and be self-sustainable. Um, that was at the core of everything. And there was also publishers that would have enabled us to do something uh, like that with them together in a more traditional business model. Um, the, the whole self-publishing route was coming out of nowhere, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we didn't really have it on our radar. In our minds, we would have done that like 
the project after Süß Kartoffel maybe. Um, but then we we kind of got the chan chance with Kowloon Knights uh, who approached us and um, I mean it also takes some due diligence to <laughs> understand if that's like a, an offer that makes sense or wh where's the catch essentially and all that and we had a lot of discussions internally if we even want to do it right now because uh, we were talking to great partners that we could have learned a lot from um, and um, and again the all the the, the cooperations with the Delic and THQ they also had a lot of benefits I mean with the Delic we had game designers and writers help us with the story and then and, and designing shadow tactics uh, with THQ we got all that stability and visibility um, associated with that brand uh, alone and also really motivated people so we were we knew we would lose a lot um, we knew we would face a lot of new challenges um, that we have never tackled on our own um, I think yeah having the data from Shadow Tactics and Desperado 3 um, helped like the business data seeing know what works analyzing the reviews understanding the community seeing the sales data and and being able to make kind of predictions and that was something new we never had that before everything before what like when you develop a game like the last tinker everything is a black box uh again 20 plus people told me they're conservative and optimistic projections and everyone was off so it's it's really tough this time around we are in a genre that we really understand um it's yeah the competition you know it's not the first person shooter genre or something like that and and all of that came together and i mean we really wanted to give it a try uh, we felt like okay um maybe in the next few years our team will get a lot of kids um that changes how you handle risk and uh, doing going the self-publishing route is risky and we felt like, well, if we do it right now, maybe that's the best point in time where we, where we can take that risk still um, and provide the stability that we, we expect for both the company and the team um, and for ourselves as founders as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It all just clicked. And then there was a German government grant uh, that kind of started exactly at the moment where we needed it to start. Um, and without that, we wouldn't have been able to, to, to sign that project in this way. And well, the f my theory is uh, again, that going the self-publishing route means a lot of more work for us, obviously, and that it will uh, increase stress, but that in some cases it will reduce frustration. I'm, I'm not talking about frustration in a way where you argue with your publisher or something, it's just, Sometimes you have an idea and someone else has a different idea and you lose the opportunity to give your idea the try. And uh, obviously we're talking about marketing here because when we made the games, no one ever said, well, you have to change something. Never happened to us. Uh, one of those, those horror stories of working with publishers that we never encountered. We were always able to do the game the way we wanted to do it. Um, but with marketing, there are different approaches and, and we just have ideas that we want to give it a try, give them a try. And, and uh, that's mostly about strategy, positioning and all that. And we are investing a lot of time already. <laughs> it's, it is pretty, 
intense uh, to go this route already, although we just finished pre-production. Um, so it's a lot of work, but it's also really motivating to do this for the very first time and, and then maybe to fail, but to have learned that the ways uh, that other people approach it before us uh, were better, or maybe we do something that works better than what traditionally uh, would have been done. And, and that's kind of the learning process that really got us interested going through that phase. And I'm really, when Mimimi works with publishers, uh, it's not always easy for the publishers as well, because we do have opinions and sometimes very strong opinions. And, and, not we, only... we, and we learned that you like complaining. You know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and of course, we, we all, part of our values is to be respectful. And I hope uh, we never um, kind of miss that mark. But it's not easy for publishers to work with us all the time. Um, they have to face difficult questions and, and then it can be annoying to kind of also explain everything, obviously. And um, I think when we go through the self-publishing phase and learn how much work it actually is, it is to publish and to do all these things that maybe we complained about in the, in the past, like, uh, why is this logo not finished today? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, when we went through that phase, we will have learned a lot. And I think we will be a little bit more humble in a few situations here and there. And, you know, I, I have no idea if we uh, return to tr the traditional publishing model. Um, but I'm very sure that whatever happens next, our next partners will benefit from that learning experience. So, so what did you change in the team, uh, if anything, you know, after you made that decision to be self-publishing your next title? Did you bring a few new people on board? Did your yeah. own role change a little bit? So maybe we can talk a bit about what it means, uh, actually, from an organizational point of view to do it yeah. uh, on your own now. Yeah, so speaking about myself, uh, it became clear pretty much early on that I wanted to dive into the publishing strategy, marketing part a little bit more. That meant I had to remove something else from my plate, uh, which was IT. Um, so we had to hire an IT manager to free up kind of my time slots and enable me to focus on stuff like that. We understood that we need to hire another QA uh, person to have more internal resources on testing the games because not only making these games, but also testing them is, is <laughs> crazy. Um, then we realized, of course, we need to do more communications, uh, social media, I don't know, the whole marketing communications, press uh, stuff. Um, we, we want to hire someone for that as well. Um, when it comes to production, we already planned adding a second producer role to the team, even uh, if we would have worked with a traditional publisher, um, but that got even more important uh, when we decided to go for the self-publishing route. Um, we we're thinking about hiring a product manager. I think, yeah, th there's one trap that I don't want to walk into, and that is that when developers kind of make the transition to publishing something, they increase their overhead or their they increase the headcount for people not really working on the actual content quite a lot. And then when the game is done and we are a single project company at the moment, you have this immense pressure of 
not knowing what to do with these people because uh, there's no new pitch maybe there's no new project um, everyone's a little bit on idle and maybe there's some R&D that everyone can do but how do you use the time of these resources basically and we don't walk into that trap because it often means that um, at least in my experience I, I saw that it meant for some of these developers that they had to dive into publishing other games which is something we don't really want to do at the moment it's just our own game um, or um, they had to become multi-project to kind of use their resources most efficiently and that's those are things that I want to maybe do proactively but not because I have people being idle um, so yeah, that's something I'm a little bit afraid of, um, and, and we we are trying to be careful about that. So you pretty much have multiple people on the team wearing different hats, you know, supporting on the publishing side of things, but also having a clear role on, you know, working on the on the game and uh, making sure they have yeah, an impact there. Yeah, yeah, we are mixing it a bit right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Is there anything you can talk about, about you know regarding your current project? Uh, obviously, you know, I don't want a big announcement here. Is there is there anything <laughs> you can say other than well, it's in the line of the games that you were doing before well it's uh, it's an original ip <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> all right uh, i had um, to try you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense um sadly not because again we just finished pre-production we are now working on the vertical slice yeah. um there are so many cool ideas and as per usual some of them worked well on paper and then failed in concept phase uh, yeah. Um, but then you have new ideas when prototyping the game and um, the way I summarize it it's it's going to be the third real-time tactics game made by Mimimi but I think it's the first title where we start re-owning the genre making it kind of our own thing um, obviously Shadow Tactics was Commandos with Ninja um, that was the pitch uh, obviously Desperados 3 was part of that IP from back in the days that, that built the genre. So um, there was room for innovation, but I think there's also expectation uh, when it comes to that IP, obviously. And um, with this new game, I think we are doing a cool, a few new cool things um, that people will be really excited about. It will still be, you know, we'll, real-time tactics fans are still our core uh, audience group, obviously. Um, but we also started understanding like what are they playing when they are not playing our games and what do they like about that and this and uh, we have a lot of cool ideas that I'm happy to share I guess when the time comes <laughs> yeah when the time comes <laughs> no it's it's fine like I said I, I had to try but there's maybe one thing you can say a few words about and that's actually the DLC uh, Ico's choice for Shadow Tactics um, yeah that's a really cool project that also kind of came out of nowhere or maybe kind of the real reality of the german government fund starting at a specific time a point in time uh, in december last year uh, we had kind of some time in between projects that we needed to fill and um, shadow tactics is still selling very well um, last year was doing much better than 2019 uh, i don't think it's uh, because of the pandemic i think it's because of the release of desperado 3 obviously also have shadow tactics um, but also a lot of great sales and there's so many people wanting more content in the shadow tactics universe and we're like okay 
can we do it? And the, the main reason of not doing any DLC anymore was based on tech issues. Um, basically, we have to update the Unity engine uh, to release the new concept on consoles as well. And that was out of the question because that would take months. And then we thought, okay, what if we just focus on PC, stay on that Unity engine version, don't change the tech, don't change the UI, just add new content to kind of this game. And it clicked with us, it clicked within the team. It sadly means that there's no console version of the DLC. The DLC being a standalone expansion that also really helped with quite a few of the tech issues and, and QA, for example. So we don't have to QA the whole original game again uh, on top of that. So Ico's choice. Um, we just revealed kind of the, the, the bad guy <laughs> of that new standalone expansion, um, which we call Omar internally. And I think no one knows that. So there's some. Ah, we have an exclusive announcement here, <laughs> a disclosure on, on the podcast. Great. Exactly. But um, it f from everything I can see, and, and the team was so excited working on this because, you know, they could return to the characters they know, uh, to the world they already know. Um, that was super exciting and then tell a new story there and, and um, I think people will be very happy with it. Um, there are some limitations. It's hard for us to not walk into the trap of kind of reverse engineering some uh, UX improvements from Desperado 3 to the old tech, but we just can't do it. Um, uh, it's going to be a cool story, cool, cool ideas, cool levels. Um, yeah, really looking forward to the reception of that as well. I think it's really great that, uh, you know, projects like Shadow Tactics have such a long lifetime and that they're still, you know, exciting yes. and a great game. That's, I think, the advantage of the real-time tactics game that, you know, they age relatively well if done yeah. right. Uh, so yeah. you might be able to sell them in, like, uh, many years down the road and people will still enjoy them. Fingers uh, crossed. It's, it's, yeah, well, <laughs> I think this, it's most likely what's going to happen because, like, with some other genres, it's very hard to, uh, you know, sell them to future audiences because there's so much, yeah. like, uh, FPS games sometimes, you know, very difficult uh, to play, you know, old games from, from back in the time. Yeah. So last topic I want to talk about is a little bit, you know, looking into the future. Obviously, you've won the... Uh, Best Studio Award uh, at the, um, the German Computer Game Award. Uh, so that means that there is some recognition. There's also some expectations probably right now yes. uh, regarding your new title. So, I mean, what do you think is is the further path of uh, Mimimi Games, you know, beyond um, Project Sweet Potato now? Uh, is it like a multi-project company that you're trying to set up? Do you want to stay true to, uh, you know, real-time tactics games? Are there any thoughts in, uh, you know, What's going to happen after what you're doing right now? Not really, to be very honest. Um, we're usually very focused on that one single big project. Uh, I would love to stay a single project company. I think there are a lot of upsides uh, and pros speaking for that. But then again, one of our internal goals or one of the struggles we had, obviously, with Shadow Tactics and also with Des Desperate 3 was that people wanted more content and it was really hard for us to deliver that. Now, maybe for Süßkartoffel, uh, we can manage to improve that situation, which then would open up a path where maybe we can add more content at a later time uh, to that world or IP or project or whatever. Uh, which maybe means that for a longer time, um, a smaller team will work on that project 
while another part of the team already pitches something new. Um, but we honestly, we don't know yet. It really depends on the reception when we announce the game, uh, the projections we then can hopefully make in a better way compared to back then when we did it with The Last Tinker, because we have those two similar titles in our portfolio. Um, well, you know, it, it comes down to the values at the end. We will, we will look at that wiki page I mentioned uh, and read through the values and see kind of which path uh, would be the right one to, to stay true to that core, um, I guess. And I just like personally, I hope the game will be and I'm I am personally right now, I'm very confident that we have the chance of achieving that as well, that the game will sell even much better than Desperados 3, which was also already an increase over Shadow Tactics, and that it kind of just generates the amount of money that we can breathe a little bit and have time to be creative about exactly these questions. Because uh, usually that's, again, tough, because in that marathon mode, you, you can't really take a pause. <laughs> you, know, you can't stop running. Um, and it would be nice to have that moment um, but who knows? Well, who I, knows? I certainly wish you and the team all the best and keep my fingers crossed for you guys achieving success on your own, Thank you know, you. Uh, with the self-publishing. Really, I have a lot of respect for the choice you made. And, uh, you know, if you ever need uh, publishing people, I think you know <laughs> where to find them. So uh, yeah. it's it's really great uh, talking to you about this. I hope that, you know, the listeners enjoyed this as much as I did. Uh, I want to thank you again for, you know, joining me today, for uh, giving us some insights into uh, the history of Mimimi and your projects and so on. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast, presented by DevCom.Global, produced by Sven Vossi. Executive producer, Stefan Reichart. Music by WeLoveIndies.com, supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany.